Hey, thanks for downloading the podcast. If you want to listen live, all you have to do is download the iHeartRadio app and search for Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Also, if you want to catch this show on video, be sure to check out Zumo TV, channel 719. That's where you can find SportsGrid's Fantasy Sports Network. Enjoy the show, and thanks so much for listening. Welcome into Fantasy Sports today. Craig Bish along with Frank Stample here on Sports Grid. Thanks you guys so much for watching. Appreciate it. I know that whether you're watching us on sportsgrid.com or YouTube or of course many of the apps that are playing up all of our content, we actually have a channel on Pluto TV and Zumo TV as well as Stir. They're really good apps. Great way to watch all of our shows, all of our content, not just ours. We're a 24-hour sports fantasy and handicapping channel that is continually delivering new and fresh content to you. So thanks so much for tuning in. And as we get started and we continue our conversation just about things that are happening in our world or in life or in pop culture or in sports, we start off today a little bit different. And we're going to start off on the topic of potentially players that did not live up to promise in fantasy sports. And so it is very easy to begin with the latest news on Giancarlo Stanton of the New York Yankees. Now, of course, I have a long storied history with Giancarlo Stanton, which we could certainly get into a little bit later here on our show. But the bottom line, Frank, is is that Stanton, talking to reporters, has basically said that, hey, if spring training was rolling around now, he would be ready to go. That's definitely a good sign for him. But there's got to always be some hesitation in fantasy, in reality, when it comes to Stanton. And I will say this. The season that he had in Miami, Frank, that he won the MVP. And and I've seen some huge home runs from him, some ones that left Marlins Park entirely. And I even go back to when Stanton was playing in the old building in uh, in the Florida Barnes. I mean, this guy has more power to me than anybody else in the big leagues. And it's not particularly close. But staying on the field has been the issue. The good news is, is that if you did a fantasy draft already and you're forced to keep your team, which a lot of people are, you're probably going to get whatever amounts to at least the beginning of the season for Stanton. But it does beg the question, Frank, do you trust him at all going into 2020, given what we saw in 2019 and in the early part of what we saw previously in this year's spring training? Yeah, I don't trust Giancarlo Stanton when it comes to fantasy baseball, at least for this upcoming season. Uh, He's climbing back up draft boards. The ADP is back to where it was when we were doing early drafts back in February, back when Craig Mish was drafting, his favorite time of year to be drafting as well. Can't wait Uh, to do it. But look, last year, just 18 games. And maybe maybe it's like a scorned lover type thing here, Craig, because I owned him last year, which was like one of the first times I ever owned him. And of course, the year that I own him is the year that he only plays 18 games. And it seems like the, the camp on Giancarlo Stanton, at least from a fantasy perspective, is split. It's either you love this guy and you you look at the two years prior to 2019 and you say, well, he played 158 games uh, with the Yankees in 2018. He played 159 games with the Marlins in 2017. That's when he had that historical season, the MVP season. uh, And you're using that as a reason uh, to draft him right now. And, you know, potentially a reason why you could profit off of where he's being drafted right now. Or you're in the other camp like me, where you look at the injuries that he suffered last year. 
Uh, you know, everything that he's dealt with so far with the Yankees, how they've handled his injuries, the fact that they have a lot of depth. They want to get Miguel Andujar in the lineup more this season. Clint Frazier, Mike Talkman, Brett Gardner, Aaron Hicks is going to be back at some point. Aaron Judge in the outfield. I just don't know that they need Stanton to play every day, which sounds kind of crazy because it every does. team can mm-hmm. obviously use Giancarlo Stanton. But I think the Yankees almost want to protect him from himself a little bit here heading into the season. So I don't know that he's going to play every day. I agree with you. He has phenomenal power, potentially the best in the league, but he also has holes in his swing as well, Craig. This is something we've talked about in the past, and watching him the past couple of seasons with the Yankees, he really, really struggles with breaking pitches, strikes out a ton, and I joke about it, but almost not joking about it. It seems like he closes his eyes at times when he just swings the bat. He's just trying to swing as hard as he possibly can and and hit the ball out of the ballpark. Uh, and, And sometimes that is a detriment for him as well. So he has the upside to hit 40, 50 home runs. Is he going to be able to stay on the field? I tend to lean towards no. I think the Yankees have a lot of depth in their outfield at designated hitter as well. He is someone that I do not trust heading into the season, and I likely will not be drafted. Yeah, and again, um, in a potentially shortened season, it definitely could change the equation. But the one thing that you brought up that I think that the Yankees could do, as opposed to if he ended up in L.A. or stayed with Miami or went to St. Louis or San Francisco or somewhere else, because you know we can get into that as well, but uh, they can protect him because of the designated hitter. And I think that that has to be somewhat of a viable solution for him. Uh, Judge's career is just getting started here. And to think about him being a DH this early on in his career, I think would be foolish. Uh, Stanton was an okay defender. I wouldn't say that he was great. I wouldn't say that he was poor. Uh, Was okay, I would say, in Miami. But that's the point, Frank, is that protecting these players from themselves. I kind of think that's what the Tigers, at least uh, Ron Gardenhire, expressed to me during spring training, is they're kind of protecting Miguel Cabrera from himself. They just don't want him to play the field to see if he could be a full-time DH and pound out 30 home runs. Like, I mean, why not give that a shot? I don't know that Stanton is at the stage of Miguel Cabrera's career. Clearly, Stanton, you would hope, is going to play another decade in the big league somehow, some way. But that very well uh, could be the case. And, um, you know, thinking back on it, Frank, you know, when that deal happened uh, in 2017, and I know that a lot of people, you know, certainly remember because I was, you know, essentially the primary reporter at that time uh, on Stanton when the Marlins were shopping him and they were looking to make trades and they were looking to, you know, see what the possibility was. It was so complicated, Frank, at the time where essentially uh, the Marlins had deals in place with both St. Louis and San Francisco, hoping that he would accept one of those deals. And it was well within his right to turn those deals down. But Miami was in a really tough spot because you think about it, and uh, it was very easy to pay Stanton. Frank, in the early part of his career, he was making $8 million and $7 million and $9 million and ten, and then all of a sudden the owner sold the team, and now the, uh, the salary went to $30 million a year. So they kind of saw it coming. Uh, St. Louis was willing to take on the contract. The Giants were willing to take on the contract, and Stanton had that no-trade clause. So he basically uh, told the Marlins at the time, and you can go back and check all the reporting on this, but uh, he said to the Marlins, look, I'll go to one of four teams, the Yankees, the Cubs, the Astros— Who would have thought? Can you imagine? The Yankees, the Cubs, the Astros, and then the team that everyone thought that he would end up with, the Dodgers. But as we now learn, Frank, through the years, Dodgers don't like taking on no money. Dodgers don't like to do that. They like to move around the guys. They don't like to take on those big contracts. They like to, like, even Mookie Betts, they're not paying him. You know, just one year and then get out from under it. Always something to keep in mind with L.A. They do not like paying. Um, You think that Stan made a mistake? You you think that he thinks about it now? Like, he'd never admit it publicly, right? Like, I mean, who would? But... do you think he thinks, man, like if I would have only 
taken that deal with St. Louis, it would have been comfortable. Nobody would, you know, I, I wouldn't have that kind of pressure. Uh, if I would have taken the deal potentially with the Cubs or somewhere else, or do you think that he's still in the best spot possible? And do you think that he thinks that? Because I don't think any of us really know, but it does seem to me that it could have gone better for him. And, and health has been a big reason for that, clearly, but it could have gone a little bit better for him. Yeah, look, there's a lot of pressure playing in New York, and you hear people talk about this, whether or not it's an actual thing or not. It's, you know, people talk about, you know, once you put on the pinstripes, there's more pressure. I mean, you strike out one time at home, it seems like the fans are booing you. Yeah. But he wouldn't have that luxury, as you mentioned, Craig, to play the designated hitter position if he were playing in St. Louis or the or with the Chicago Cubs. For Unless now, though. For now. For now, for now, for now until the designated right. hitter makes its way into the That's National coming. League. Yeah. But at the time, I mean, we we didn't know how far away the designated hitter was from the National true, League. I mean, true. there was always, you know, talks about it potentially happening. Uh, but I, I think at the time, he probably... Wanted to play for the Yankees, a team that's considered a contender, all eyes on the Yankees, um, you know, and there's plenty of, you know, sponsorship opportunities here. There's plenty of ways to make money in New York, probably more so than with the Cubs or with the St. Louis Cardinals. Uh, but I, I think it's a, I think it's a fair question. If you ask him now, I don't I don't know how honest he would be about it. I don't but think he would. Yeah. yeah, I think it's I think it's a fair question to ask, Craig. Yeah, and, and at the time, uh, you know, people have always asked me, like, what was your relationship uh, like with him? Um, you know, I, I don't think anybody really, I mean, I don't think anybody really had a relationship with him. Um, when things were going well uh, in Miami, he was really good to talk to, you know. He was there at his at his locker and his clubhouse, and in the clubhouse right after the game when things were not going well. Uh, unlike the way that the Marlins are doing things now, they're putting a lot of pressure on their players to make sure that they're accountable. I mean, Stanton could go for weeks without talking after a game. You know, you can't get away with that in New York now. And I think he's done a really good job, by the way, in New York, um, especially with the media and kind of handling it the way that it is. But I always wonder that. And now, you know, come to think of it, he, he would have approved the trade to the Astros, Frank. I mean, talk about, talk about changing history a lot. Can you imagine if that would have happened? Now, Houston, um, of those four teams, by the way, that he would have approved the deal to, uh, Houston, I want to say, if I want to go back and think about it, Houston was probably the third most interested of the four, I think, from what I what I got back. Um, you know, the Yankees clearly were the most, then the Dodgers, then Houston. The Cubs were like, there is no way, you know? Like, you could see the way that the Cubs are trending right now. Like, they just signed Hayward and they see Darvish. Like, they just, they just didn't have the money, you know? Like, they, they just couldn't take on that kind of money. I mean, they probably could. But they just chose that they were not going to go that route. And maybe because it was the National League, things that you mentioned. I think that's part of it as well. It kind of brings up uh, an interesting topic for me in fantasy because I think that Stanton is one of those guys and you know that, that you draft and you're always like hoping for that year. You're hoping for that dominant season. And he did give it to you that MVP year, no question. And even in a couple of shortened seasons, he was probably still worth the ADP that he took. But to me, who comes to mind, Frank, in this situation is that like Stanton is this generation's Troy Tulowitzki, because we went for years and years taking Tulowitzki in the first five picks of drafts, like year after year with the Rockies. And, and look, Trevor Story is actually putting together a better career. I mean, who would have thought than Troy Tulowitzki because he's staying on the field. But Tulo was that guy, Frank, that like if he would have ever come through with that promise I mean, this dude was a beast, 30 home runs. You could drive in 120 runs, even steal some bases, and he just couldn't stay healthy. And then they shipped him out, of course, at Toronto. And, you know, he had a little cup of coffee there at the end with the Yankees. But, like, it's so reminiscent of that. Stanton's already accomplished more than Tulowitzki has, don't get me wrong, over the course of his career. Well, guy won an MVP. 
But still, like that that's the one name that comes to mind for me. Yeah, I think that's a really good call, too. I mean, you look at Tulo's career, he always kind of uh, teased us with some of those big seasons back in 2009, 32 home runs, 20 stolen bases, as you mentioned, and, and a career 290 hitter. I mean, he was a great hitter. There's no he doubt was. about it, uh, you know. Um, and the upside, the power-speed combination, as you mentioned, uh, you know, 2007, his first season, 155 games there, 24 home runs, seven stolen bases as well. He only played uh, more than 150 games twice in his entire career, which is just, it's sad to think yeah. about when it comes to Tulo, you know, what could have been. If this is a guy that could have consistently stayed on the field for 130, 140 plus games, we might be talking about a Hall of Fame type career with Troy Tulowitzki. Uh, obviously playing in Coors Field uh, helped him a ton as well. But um, yeah, look, he was he was a great player. You know, one that comes to mind for me, it, it seems like he almost kind of handed the baton off to Troy Tulowitzki just before him was Grady Sizemore. Now, I didn't really have much exposure to Grady Sizemore early in my fantasy career because I didn't start playing until around 2009, 2010. So that was kind of the back end of things for Grady Sizemore. But, you know, looking back at his season logs, I mean, back in 2008, he had a season 33 home runs and 38 stolen bases for yeah, Grady Sizemore. Was... I mean, this guy was basically a first-round, you know, fantasy stud uh, for, you know, for a three-, four-year stretch there. And then basically after that 2008 season, that was the last time he was an all-star, Craig, I mean, 106 games, 33, 71, 112. I mean, the guy was just never healthy after that. It seems like it was Grady Sizemore, then Tulowitzki, and then John Carl Stanton as, you know, the guys that I really remember that have a ton of fantasy promise but haven't necessarily been able to stay on the field as much as we had hoped. Yeah, and, and, and look, there are pitchers like that too. Uh, Strasburg, uh, I think, was a guy for the last decade that you were waiting for that promise to deliver, and he did. You know, he finally came through for you, and we'll see if that continues. But out of the last decade of Strasburg, I mean, how many seasons would you say that he delivered on the promise of where his ADP was out of 10 or 9, whatever it is? Uh, would you say 3, maybe, at the most? Like, it's always been that, oh. And then the other guy, obviously, from a pitching perspective, is Noah Syndergaard, right? Like, someone is always willing to roll those dice on Noah Syndergaard. And I, and I love it when I hear the analysis from those people. Well, you know, I really feel like this is the year, you know? And then the next year, oh, I can't believe I took Noah Syndergaard. It like, happens every year with that guy. Yeah, I feel like the people who want to draft Noah Syndergaard are the people who've never owned Noah Syndergaard, right? So Absolutely. they don't understand yeah. the frustration of owning him. Uh, and it seems like whenever he hasn't been able to stay healthy, he'll give you really, really good innings, but he'll only throw about 100, 120 innings. Yeah. Last year was the year he finally stayed healthy, Craig, and he gave you an ERA over four. So what's the deal with Noah Syndergaard? He manages to stay healthy, but he doesn't pitch up to his expectations. And then there are years where he's really good on a per-star basis, but just can't manage to stay healthy. Uh, when it comes to Strasburg, you know, something that Greg and I have talked about when it comes to Strasburg is he's a roller coaster from year in and year out from a fantasy perspective because the year that he gets hurt, the next year his ADP is like the fifth, sixth round, uh, and right. then he outperforms his ADP. Then the I next know, year, he's done it a few times, yeah. which is this year, he's being drafted in the second and third round. Right. Is he going to be able to live up to that ADP? I don't know. Time will tell. Yeah, it's, re it's really hard to tell any of those. The, the one name, and I, and I say it all the time, it's like my go-to in fantasy, is like the easiest guy that you, it's like, the play, as you mentioned, the player is a great point. The player that you never take twice, like Stanton is a player like that, I think, um, Tulowitzki was, uh, you know, in football, it's Gronk. It's like hands down. Like you're, you're sitting there that you were sitting there in that second round, third round. You can't believe Gronk is still sitting there on the board. You take him, and then next year, you're like, no way, I'm not doing that again. You know, having to fight because you felt so good about getting the, the top tight end. You're going head to head every week. You, I'm going to have Gronk. 
this guy's going to have uh, Safarian Jenkins, and I'm going to crush that guy, you know, every week. And then, of course, Gronk's not healthy. And he's so good, though, when he plays at the time that he plays, that you go back and you look at the end of the year, like, oh, he's still graded out as a top, you know, 12 tight end. I'll go ahead and I'll take that chance. No one ever took Gronk in back-to-back years. No one. No how, no way. You took him once, and that was it. And uh, and could be the case with Giancarlo Stanton. We'll see. But they, as as Frank mentioned, a lot of people are, are going back to that well again in fantasy here in 2020. All right, we'll take a quick time out here on Fantasy Sports Today. And when we come back next, we're going to talk about uh, some legacies in football, specifically the one of uh, Cam Newton with the Carolina Panthers. Very interesting conversation we'll have with him, one of the great all-time college players. Is he an all-time great football player in the NFL? That could be a conversation for uh, today's story as we take a quick break here on SportsGrid. And don't forget, you can watch our show, Fantasy Sports Today, every single day right here at SportsGrid.com, YouTube, Pluto TV, Zumo TV, Stir, and wherever you watch or view or listen to your podcast, your audio, and your video. Frank and I will be back in just a couple of minutes right here on SportsGrid. This is Fantasy Sports Today. Don't go away. sportsgrid.com betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24 7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering real-time odds predictive betting models expert picks and more want the edge then get on the grid sportsgrid.com and welcome back to fantasy sports today craig bish along with frank stample here on the show and You know, I kind of feel like in these quiet times that a lot of us are having, and I'm seeing it happen in my house, I'm hearing about it everywhere else, is that, uh, Frank, it's like cleanup time, you know? It's like there there could be no excuses coming out of this social distancing of people saying in their houses, oh, I just don't have time to clean. Like, I mean, my kids are doing school, and there is a lot of, like, homework now, and I'm finding that out the hard way here as we're getting into that. But, I mean, I think that... What's happening is that we're starting to like find things that we just didn't know that we have or things that we've been looking for for uh, many years. And I know that in the previous show, we were talking a little bit about memorabilia. Now, it's just it's too much of a chore, Frank, for me to bust out everything I have. It's just I mean, we, we could do and we may have to do, honestly, weeks and weeks of shows about that sort of thing. But I did want to show you two things, two small things, because for the camera, you know, works a little bit better just for. Uh, the visual that I have, just two of the millions of things that I have, there's a lot. But uh, from a historical uh, perspective, I thought these were two uh, cool baseball items, okay? Let's go. Okay. So uh, this is the first one, and again, I think it could be backwards for some of you that that are watching. It's just the way that TV broadcasts. But uh, either way, this right here, tell me if you could see it, Frank, very clearly. Jackie Robinson? Yeah. So that's that's an autograph of Jackie Robinson right there. Wow. yeah, that's uh, authentic. Uh, JSA uh, slapped that for me. So the story behind Jackie Robinson is no, I did not get Jack. I'm not that old, Frank. I did not get <laughs> Jackie Robinson's autograph. Uh, my father actually did. And uh, for many, many years when my father was young, he used to get autographs. You know, back in the day, he thought that getting them on these little sheets of paper were the way to go. They're called like cut signatures. A lot of people uh, used to do it that way. They used to have these notebooks. They would go to games. My dad lived in Brooklyn. Um, so he used to attend a lot of games. And then I think probably about two or three years ago, 
he just basically like I knew he had all this stuff, but he's like, here, here's like everything I have. If you think that you want to do some stuff with it. So um, it was probably about 500 different cut signatures of like Knicks players, baseball players, basketball, oh. play, just everything historically. And a handful were really cool, um, you know, but this was the one. You know, this was the one that I think was, you know, the best. There was, like, Hank Aaron in there and Yogi Berra and Stan Musial. And then you go back in baseball history, you could find all these names. But I, I felt like having a Jackie Robinson was really cool. So I took the extra step, and I wanted to make sure that I protected it. And made sure it was real, by the way. Because even though my dad's like, yeah, I got Jackie Robinson, he couldn't remember where or when or how. It's just like, you know, one day you get Jackie Robinson in a book, you go home, you have dinner. You know, that was basically it. Now you have a Jackie Robinson autograph. It's a little bit different than that. So uh, I'll start off with that one. Yeah, that's pretty awesome, man. And, uh, you know, I have some uh, stuff in my parents' house from uh, my uncle used to collect. He would get the Topps baseball uh, set of cards, the entire baseball set from like 1980 through like, I don't know, 2005. So 25 years worth of, you know, the Topps baseball set. So I'd imagine, you know, there's some pretty... Uh, pretty big rookie cards in there. I know that they have just a ton of baseball cards. They have a lot of baseball books from back in the day as well. Those are all in my parents' house. And, you know, whenever I get the opportunity, could, that's something that I, I can look into and, and should look into, honestly, because might be sitting on a gold mine, and I don't even know here, Craig. But uh, Yeah, the 80s, the 80s is really, unfortunately, that's kind of when it dove, took a nosedive down. Mm -hmm. um, there are, I would say, a few at that time, but it was really the 60s and 70s were like the final time that Topps produced cards that were like really nice and expensive uh, rookie cards. Um, if you're talking about 80, Ricky Henderson's rookie was uh, was 1980, and I, and I don't think that there was really anybody else from 80 to 90 in terms of Topps, unfortunately, Frank, that... You know, there. I mean, there's names. Don't get me wrong, and names that you've heard of, but like Jose Canseco and Mark McGuire and Dwight Gooden and Daryl Strawberry and Roger Clemens, and like they're just not worth what they were 20 years ago. It's crazy to think, but that's, it's just uh, baseball cards just died at that time. So, um, but the vintage. But if you had a Ricky Henderson one, yeah, I mean that that would be the first one that I would look for and see what kind of condition it's in. Well, thanks, Craig, for crushing my hopes and dreams when it comes to the baseball cards. You're not going to be putting your kids through college, Frank. That's like we all thought we would uh, off baseball cards. That's kind of, uh, you know, what I, I did want to ask you, you know, what's the process like in terms of getting the signature certified? Do you bring it to, you know, someone that's like yeah. an ins inspector and they kind of look yeah. back at his signature from back in the day? And they yeah, there's a company, and yeah, there's a company that uh, James Spence is his name, and uh, he's got a company in New Jersey and also uh, in Florida. And, uh, and he's been good to me through the years with a lot of the stuff that I got when I was a kid, historically, whenever I need something, um, you know, I'll just ask him, is it real? Is it not? I have some stuff that, that ended up being fake, some stuff that my dad sent through the mail, um, you know, many, many years ago that was fake. I think Mickey Mantle was one of the things that was fake, if I'm not mistaken, because a lot of these guys didn't have time to sign. So somebody in the clubhouse would do it for them, or it would just be what was called an auto pen, where it's like a stamp and it looks just like the signature. So, yeah, some, sometimes I've had to differentiate through that. And and I do collect some vintage stuff. So like I have uh, Joe DiMaggio on a poster. I have Ted Williams on a ball. Um, so I, I want to make sure that it's real because I am a historical buff when it comes to baseball. So, but again, um, I, could, I could just be doing this for, for three hours if I prepare. I, honestly, I could do a year of shows on. I think I could with based off all the stuff that I could take out. So... Uh, we'll do one more, and then I want to ask a, a question to you. Uh, this this is more of a 
of a recent one here. I'll take this one out, actually, if I can. Take it out of the uh, the sleeve that it's in to, so it doesn't have that glare on the TV. I, I don't want you to damage it now, Craig. Oh, it's okay. This one. Be, be careful. So this is right here. You see what this one is right there. Put that there for everybody to see. Mm, Rockies is, and Marlins. Yeah, so this is Ichiro's signature on his ticket when he got his 3,000th hit. Oh, wow. That is so awesome. That, so that so that's that one. Now, of course, Ichiro played with the Marlins. He was very generous about a lot of different things. Um, and right before he left and he retired, I ended up getting that. So, um, yeah, like, I mean, to me, to have that, I, I have... Um, I, I do collect some tickets uh, with signatures. Very few, though, I want to say, in my collection. I have, like, uh, Tom Glavin's 300th win ticket signed. I think that's another one that I have. Uh, but for the most part, it, uh, tickets are a little bit harder to come by because of the condition. And these are, like, in fact, on the back of the Ichiro one that's signed, I have one that's unsigned. I just didn't even want to rip it off. I actually just got two tickets, paid for two tickets uh, from a buddy of mine. I told him, go to the game. That uh, he was on two nine nine nine, and he went and he bought a bunch of tickets for me because I'm like I think I'm gonna I want to get one signed eventually, and he did and he gave them to me. So um, I have Bonds home run tickets, a few of them. Um, I think Griffey when he was going through that, I have Roy Halladay's uh, perfect game that he had here in, in uh, South Florida. Not a huge ticket guy, but I figured for the purposes of knowing somebody in your era, Frank, I busted out the Ichiro. You are aware who Ichiro. Is. <laughs> Oh, I do know Ichiro. Yeah, can't say the same about Ellis Valentine. Sorry, Ellis, but uh, yeah, we do know Ichiro. I think that's you know pretty awesome as well. Are, are the tickets actually the signed tickets? Are they worth anything, or um, is it? I would say that uh, yeah, I, I I would say that the Ichiro probably one is. I would have to check. I'm gonna guess you know a couple hundred bucks would be probably a guess. Uh, I have to get it. I had I don't have it certified. I'd have to get that certified. Uh, Tom, I mean, Tom Glavin, I don't know. What was it, Tom Glavin on a ticket? 50 bucks, maybe 100 bucks? I don't know. I mean, this stuff is like, this is the stuff I keep, you know? Yeah. Um, and again, I'm very after the historical stuff. I usually am not into the uh, the players that are playing right now. My son does a lot of that because he runs around and, and, and likes to go to games and meets players and stuff like that. But I've always felt that the to, to invest so much time in the guys who are playing now like, you just don't know, Frank. Like, you know, one day, like, Stanton's a great example. One day you have Stan, you're thinking, oh, my gosh, I have a great autograph. Then the next day you're like, oh, like, great. <laughs> I wish I had the ball clean again to get the autograph on. So, yeah, um, yeah so it's it's not about the new guys for me. It's mostly, like, who's in the Hall of Fame and and um, and having a Hall of Fame collection and, and things like that. You know, it kind of lends me to the question that I had a conversation with somebody about this is that, uh, somebody had mentioned to me that they thought that like selfies are the new autograph, that like selfies aren't at, or autographs aren't as big anymore, and that somebody would rather take a selfie than have an autograph. I just don't agree with that at all. I don't know. Maybe it's just me being old school and just thinking like you have something tangible, but like you could Photoshop yourself with any picture, I guess. Uh, the experience of meeting somebody and meeting an athlete isn't always that great, as people will tell you, is that for, like, meeting your biggest heroes sometimes doesn't always go as smoothly as you think it's going to go. But you always do have that autograph on a sheet of paper or a, or a ball or of some kind that you can display that can always give you that. I mean, I try to do a picture. I used to try to do a picture, too. But um, I don't know, Frank. I mean, like, let's say, for example, is there somebody out there 
that you've never met in sports that you'd meet, and then they said to you, listen, you could do one or the other. You could take a picture with me or you could get an autograph. What would you choose? I would probably go with the picture. I would, I would probably go with the selfie. Uh, I just think, you know, having having that moment, right, uh, just kind of encapsulated together with, with someone that you look up to, uh, whether, you know, it's an athlete, whoever it might be, I, I think – you know, having that kind of moment forever. Uh, and, you know, you can kind of you can frame the photo as well, similar to what you can do uh, with the autograph. And I, I guess it might just be like uh, a difference in mindset here. But, yeah, I'll, I'll take the picture. I understand what you're saying about the Photoshop. But, I mean, you know that it actually happened. You were there. You took maybe so you take who, a video so who, as well. Give me an example of somebody that that like who would wow you if you saw him walking down the street in New York City. So it would have been Kobe. I mean, he's my favorite athlete of all time. Okay, uh, so but... so so let's so we could use Kobe Bryant's fine rest yeah. in peace. So let's say hypothetically Frank is is walking uh, down the street in New York City, and uh, and and you look and there's Kobe Bryant, right? <laughs> and you just came. You ironically, you're walking down the street and you have a bag in your hand, and the in your bag just happens to be a beautiful silver pen and a basketball just happens to be and Kobe Bryant on the street says nice to meet you Frank but I can only do one thing I can sign that basketball for you give you my signature with Kobe or you could take a picture you're taking a picture I'm taking the picture man okay. I, I don't know what it is maybe uh, I don't know maybe it's uh, just a generational type thing you know I just I want to have that evidence that I met Kobe Bryant and not Photoshop because I know I was there I don't care who believes me uh, I'm taking the picture with Kobe Bryant man Okay. Well, look. I mean, that's. Yeah, you know, I don't. I don't know that it's generational. It's just. I, I think it's just kind of preference. You know? Yeah. Who Who would you want to take a picture with, or uh, get an autograph? Maybe one that you don't have. I mean. Yet. Yeah. I mean, a current guy. You know, it's interesting. Uh, many years ago, I knew someone, and I've interviewed Michael Jordan before, but m many years ago, I met somebody. And they were, I don't, I don't remember what it was. It was in sports or whatever. And he said he was playing golf with Michael Jordan. So he, he said, he volunteered to me. He's like, give me some stuff and I'll get him to sign it for you. I'm like, are you sure? They're like, yeah, Michael Jordan. So I remember I gave him a basketball and I gave him two pictures, big pictures. One of him in the dunk contest. You remember that iconic picture at the foul line? And then I think there was just another one. I gave him all the stuff, and he calls me, and he says, I got it all signed. I'm like, wow, this is amazing. So I remember I drove to his house, I picked up the stuff, and I got home, and cool, you know, whatever, and I have it. And, uh, and those, so then I called the authenticator guys, and I'm like, hey, like, just for my own protection, I think it's probably a good idea that I get this certified. Like, you never know what could happen, Frank. I mean, it's just, you got to protect your stuff. And if this is really Michael Jordan, and he's like, I got bad news for you. I'm like, what's up? He's like, this is all fake. It's not signed by Michael Jordan. I'm like, what? Wow. I'm like, no, but he played golf with Michael Jordan. He's like, I know, but it's not real. And I'm like, how could this possibly be? You know, it can't. So, um, you know, I called the guy back and I was like, look, um, you know, like, I'm really sorry, but this is, did you see him sign the stuff? I think that's what I said. He's like, no, I didn't, but I left it for him. And then I got it back. I'm like, who'd you get it back from? Oh, like his assistant. I'm like, yeah, but they're, they're telling me it wasn't signed by him. And then he says to me, he's like, yeah, I, I have heard that he does that every once in a while. I just didn't think that he would do it with my stuff. And this was like a buddy of him of his through a friend that played golf. 
So apparently, I guess, and look, I don't, I'm just making a claim here with no basis whatsoever. And I still have the stuff, by the way. But apparently, he has somebody with him that signs his stuff for him. And, wow. and he does. I guess. I mean, it's crazy to think that I would even call somebody out like that. But I'm, you know, I've never been in a position in person to say, "Hey, is this? Did you sign this?" Like I've never. Now I've interviewed him before. But it's completely inappropriate. Hey, Michael, how you doing? Hey, you know, congratulations. Hey, did you sign this back in 2013 for me? Like I would. I don't. You know, I'm working and the member of the media. I don't do any of that stuff. But right. if somebody's going to do me a favor and get me something signed, yeah, I mean, yeah, whatever. I'll get a jersey. I'll put it up on the wall. No problem. But as far as me one-on-one doing that, that's just not something that I could do. Um, so Michael Jordan, Frank. And you know what? If I had to do it all over again, it would have been Michael Jordan on a baseball at this point. I would, I would have really liked to have him on a baseball. I think that's more of a unique type thing. But I still do have that basketball, Frank, and I got those pictures. And I, you know, I see him every once in a while and think to myself, is it really fake? <laughs> you know? Yeah. But you gotta you gotta trust the people that are telling you that, right? They look at these autos, they look at Michael Jordan autographs a hundred times a day. Right. Yeah. Speaking of Jordan, you know, you told me beforehand, uh, have a little stuff ready. How about this for you? There it Boom. is. Boom. Yeah. Yep. The all black with the red pinstripes. There you That's go. Nice. Yeah, there you go. I've got I've got a few jerseys over here. I dabble. Show us one more. All right, let's see what we got here. I will show you a current player. Let's go. Uh, let's go baseball here. Little Bryce Harper. Bryce Harper Phillies, huh? Bryce Harper Phillies, the powder blue. Okay. Yep, that's another one that I got here. I have, I got my Kobe Bryant jersey that I just received as well. I got my Deion Sanders, Bernie Williams uh, Yankee jersey. Bernie was one of my favorite players when I was growing oh, was up. Yeah. When I was younger. Yeah. So. Okay. Well, there you go. I got a lot of other stories like that, too. But that Jordan one kind of hurts me because, man, <laughs> I, that would be up in my office right now as I look around. Like, I have some really cool, uh, cool stuff um, that is of me meeting different players and, and doing interviews and me interviewing the guys and then, you know, signing that stuff. It's just, uh, but Jordan was the one that really hurt me. It's funny you remember the one that hurts you amongst <laughs> the other millions of things that I have. So there's our memorabilia segment for the day and discussion. Uh, let us know what you think about it. Give us a like and a subscribe on YouTube and tell us what you think. At Craig Mish, send me a message on Twitter. If you like any of these stories, you want to hear more of them, I'll deliver them to you right here on Fantasy Sports Today. We'll take a quick time out and we will be back with plenty more right here on the show. So don't go away. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. You know, it's interesting, you know, with this slow sports cycle that we have going on, it gives us a chance to look back and reflect historically at a lot of different topics and we do have one new topic to talk about today and then one old. And I want to start, actually start off with the old and get your opinion, uh, Frank, on Cam Newton, who, to me, in terms of what he did at Auburn, uh, I mean, if we were ever going to go through and make a historical perspective at the best quarterbacks of all time in college, Cam Newton would be in there for what he accomplished at Auburn. He was just absolutely unstoppable in, in a way that you you know make comparisons to Deshaun Watson and some other college quarterbacks that have just dominated on the field. There was, I mean, Cam Newton was right at the top. And there were a lot of questions as to what he could accomplish on the field as a member of the Carolina Panthers. And, 
And look, at the beginning, you weren't really sure. He was a little bit more of a runner than he was as a passer. He developed a lot as a passer, clearly got his team to the pinnacle, to the uh, the highest level in the NFL as well. Uh, and now his career, uh, you know, still, you know, work in progress, but cut short at, uh, with Carolina. At least it looks like he feels that way. There's some Panthers fans that feel that way as well. The Panthers are going through a rebuild of sorts at this time, and they basically uh, looked at Cam Newton as somebody that they didn't want to go through the rebuild with. You can you can understand it from that sentiment, but a, a very uh, weird way to throw away an MVP, Frank. I will say that you don't see many players of the caliber and the things that Cam Newton's accomplished that has just basically told see ya. Uh, halfway through the season last year, it really appeared that this was the direction that they, that we were heading when they just kind of shut him down for the year. And Kyle Allen, who they have uh, shipped out since, played a little bit better. There was this discussion, when Newton comes back, does he play or is it Kyle Allen? That went out the window at the end of the year. And then we all thought, okay, well, when Cam Newton is healthy, he's going to end up playing. I don't know. I mean, there, there's so much to unpack as, as it pertains to his career. But this is a pretty unceremonious dumping, I would say, uh, by a team. You don't see many faces of the franchise just simply cut but they clearly couldn't find a suitor for him via trade. And so uh, Newton is uh, no longer a member of the Panthers. Yeah, and it seems like we hear this every offseason. This is the craziest offseason we've ever seen in yeah. NFL history. And at times, it's hyperbolic. But this offseason, Craig, I mean, you're seeing the GOAT, Tom Brady, change teams, change conferences. He's now a member of the Tampa Bay Bucks. And you're talking about a former MVP, the best quarterback in Carolina Panthers franchise history, the face sure. of the franchise, uh, just basically being dumped. As you mentioned, they've been trying to explore trades, but you know, no one wants to uh, give up any type of draft capital to acquire Cam Newton. And it seems like he's just going to be cut. And I guess the, the next conversation is, you know, what teams are going to be interested in, in Cam Newton at this point in, in his career, because I do have serious doubt about what he has left in the tank because he's had shoulder surgery and he's had foot surgery and you know he was never um, you know a real accurate passer. What's his accuracy going to look like now following you know all these surgeries and is he going to be able to run like he used to? So you know we we've talked about this the past couple of days with uh, players in the NFL retiring earlier than usual, breaking down earlier than usual, and Cam Newton. Let's call it for what it is. He almost is a running back in the NFL. I mean, he's taken such a beating in his career that, you know, we might be looking at the end of the line here for Cam Newton. Okay. But just talking about his accomplishments in college football at the NFL level, you know, I think when, if you bring up the possibility of his number being retired with the Carolina Panthers, uh, potentially even NFL M yeah, a Hall of Famer, I don't think that that's out of the question as well. Just everything I think that it he's should be in the conversation, but how do you do that to that guy? You know, like... I mean, I guess it wouldn't have been done as Ron Rivera being the head coach there, but that's, it's just. It's a new I mean, coach, right? It's Matt yeah, Rule. Yeah, I mean, that's, he wants that, to they basically the gave the keys to Matt Rule and said, look, you got to do whatever you got to do, and yeah, we can't worry about feelings, but. This is, the, this is the business side of things, Craig, and you know that as well as anybody. I mean, you cover a Major League Baseball team. You see the business side of things probably more than anybody else who talks about it here on this network, on SportsGrid, and. Look, there's a business side of things, and it's tough. It's definitely a tough situation to be in if you're the Carolina Panthers. But, I mean, who gives you the best shot to win right now? Who gives you the best shot to compete? And Matt Rule and the rest of the coaching staff believe that that is Teddy Bridgewater. So they, they've signed Teddy Bridgewater. They brought in P.J. Walker from the XFL to be his backup. Cam Newton no longer going to be with the team. But just in terms of career accomplishments, Craig, I mean, 
58 rushing touchdowns, the most by a quarterback since the 1970 NFL-AFL merger. He's the only active player to lead an NFL franchise in both career touchdown passes with 182 and career rushing touchdowns with 58. I mean, you just go down the list. He holds so many different records, not just for the Carolina Panthers, but from a rushing perspective as a quarterback in the NFL. Not only do I think he's in the, in the Panthers Hall of Fame, I, I think he's in the conversation as an NFL Hall of Famer as well. Yeah, I, I think that he should be and does a lot of things in the community as well. And uh, look, his career uh, actually started off at the University of Florida and uh, and ended up having to leave and, and go to Auburn because of issues that he had off the field. There were some people that weren't really sure as to what his career was going to look like, but he turned it around completely. Uh, great charities, uh, great community guy as well. And... Um, you know, I got to say, if I was him, I'd feel scorned. You know, I mean, that's I mean, he did a lot for that franchise. And just to be cut because, again, they can't find a deal for him. It's uh, it's going to be an uphill battle for him, for sure, Frank. And I don't think that there's an easy solution for it. But of course, uh, when you look back historically and you look at what he accomplished, both in fantasy and reality, he was a top guy, top fantasy quarterback too, top three guy for uh, for a number of years in fantasy as well. Uh, well, we're waiting for the next great quarterback, and while we are, our news cycle right now, Frank, is dependent on people posting things on Instagram. How great is this? Like, that's where we're getting our news, is from social media, because that's all we have right now. And so, uh, late, uh, it was back on, uh, let's see, we're talking about, on Monday night, late on Monday night, uh, Tua Tagalova ends up posting a video of him essentially just dropping back and working out. And so that has everybody in a tizzy, of course, because now we think that two is going to be okay. It's a really unique situation. The NFL, of course, already announced that the draft is not going to be in Las Vegas. It's probably just going to be people like us in, in doing interviews like us from their homes and making those announcements in very in big places that have a lot of social distancing, although that could change. I mean, we don't know uh, what, what the situation may look, may look like, but they definitely pulled it from Vegas. That's what we do know. So at this stage, Frank, look, I still think, as we've talked about previously on the show, I think he's in for an NFL redshirt in year one. I think that all this is is just showing that he is healthy and recovered from this injury. But you think about it now with everything that he's up against. And by the way, I would have no hesitation with drafting this guy. None, zero, zip. In fact, I like him so much more than Herbert and Love that if I was one of those teams that was settling for those guys, I would move up to draft Tua. That's how strongly I feel about Tua. I like Trevor Lawrence a little bit better, uh, but I do you know, clearly think that Tua, no question about it, is going to be a good quarterback in the NFL. But given that there are going to be no none of these camps after they're drafted, at least limited camps, that's for sure, coming off this injury, I mean, Frank, there will be a prop at some point that we'll be able to look at as to how many games Tua plays in 2020. If you set the number at one and a half, I'm going under. I mean, maybe he gets that cup of coffee at the end of the season because there's a 17-week season. Maybe he gets one game in. But I don't even think that this is a Haskins situation. I just don't think that there's any reason to play this guy. And given the nature of what we're going through in this country and the injury that he has, I would guess we see him in 2021, especially if it's with a team like Miami. I agree with you 100%, but there is going to be the fan base that is going to be clamoring for someone like Tua to get on the field. But I think whoever drafts him has to realize that you have to be patient with him, especially with everything that we're talking about involving Cam Newton and players retiring early from the NFL and Andrew Luck. I mean, this guy has already suffered from a fractured hip in college. So 
that's a major injury to come back from. You have to be 100% patient with Tua, and you have to know that going in. You know, uh, normally when we see a quarterback drafted in the top five in the NFL draft, Craig, that guy is almost required to play in year one because you have to validate the draft capital that you use on him but it just has to be a different mindset you have to go in knowing you have to be patient and and the sky is the limit the upside is huge for this guy 69 percent completion percentage in college 87 passing touchdowns to 11 interceptions he's electric there's no doubt about it Uh, but you have to know going in that you're going to be patient this is going to be a process a philadelphia 76ers type process where you you do things slowly and i think a team like the miami Dolphins, it makes sense for them to draft him, have Ryan Fitzpatrick play another year, learn under a veteran like Ryan Fitzpatrick as well, because say what you want about Fitz, he can teach a a young quarterback plenty of things, what to do and what not to do in the NFL as well. But if you start talking about a team like the LA Chargers here, Craig, where it seems like they want to compete, they still have a lot of pieces in place. If they go into the season with Tyrod Taylor as their starter and Tua as the backup, you're telling me halfway through the season, if this team is four and four or five and five, that you don't hear people start clamoring to get Tua in the lineup. That's a situation that you really have to avoid uh, if you are drafting Tua. You just have to be patient coming in. I- I'll throw this back your way. You mentioned sure. you think he's better than Herbert. You think he's better than Jordan Love. Yeah. How about in terms of comparing him against Joe Burrow, who is considered by many oh, yeah. no, the no, consensus I, number one pick? Burrow's going into a situation like Kyler Murray was last year. It's it's very similar actually. Um, which which makes the whole scouting process, Frank, kind of silly. Uh, now, look, I watch uh, I watch just as much college football as I do pro, and this is the second straight year in a row that we were almost two months into the college football season before you became awareness as to who the number one pick and Heisman Trophy winner was going to be, right? Like, who went into 2019 and said Joe Burrow of LSU was going to be? I, I didn't. Nobody else did either. How about the year before with Kyler Murray? No one was talking about him. All of a sudden in October, who was the favorite? This is after six college football games were played. So it's unquestionable that Joe Burrow has a chance to be a star in the NFL. Is he going to be playing about or around the best skill set, the best offensive line? I don't know. But, Frank, look, the guy is healthy. Uh, I, I mean, I can't see a scenario. I can't see any scenario if I was the Bengals that I would punt this pick, even though they probably do need seven other dudes that are close to as good as good as him. Cincinnati, even with him, is probably only going to win four games or three games. And you know what? He probably will start from game one, like Kyler Murray in Arizona. I just, I, I just put Tua in a different category because of the injury. And think about this right now for a second. And you're right. Any fan base that drafts him is going to be clamoring in October for the guy to play. But think about this. We're here in March. At the end of March, as we're doing this show, five months from now, you just saw him drop back for the first time on video since the surgery, and that guy's going to be playing in an NFL in, in an NFL game in five months from now? There's no way. I mean, you got to be out of your mind to even take that chance with the fifth pick or fourth pick or third pick overall in the draft, wherever he goes. So it's going to be hard. It's going to be tough because if he ends up in Miami, it's an excellent point that you make. Fitzpatrick is the guy. But he, with those great games, Frank, he also has those brutal ones. And you know what? Fa- how fan bases respond to that. Like, he's going to have a game, Fitz, where it's going to be one touchdown, five picks, you know? And it's going to happen. And then the fan base is going to be, oh, they got to play him, they got to play him. But I think that the team that takes him, the smartest thing that they could do is come out and just say, he's not going to play. 
not playing for us this year. The whole year. He's not playing. We're putting him on injured reserve. That's the end of the story. Now, want to play a little Drew Locke game? Throw him in there at the end? You know, see how things go in January? You know, like, I mean, look, I won't rule it out. I won't say it's a disaster if they end up doing that. But I think that a team has to just come out right away and just say, hey, look, this is we're just going to give him a red shirt. We're going to let him watch the whole entire year. And hopefully it is not a Chargers situation because you bring up a great point. That team has Eckler. That team has Mike Williams. That team has Keenan Allen. They have a good offensive line. Their defense is going to be, I would assume, I mean, the Chargers are never healthy, but let's just assume they are for the first time ever this year. A healthier team in 2020, they are 19. They're going to try and win. And, and what would you try and do and win if Tyrod Taylor struggles? You're right. It would be to go to whoever their backup quarterback is. And so uh, if it's Herbert, I'm scared for him because I don't think it's going to work out. And uh, Love needs also the, like that 10 games to, to see. You know, like I'm not I'm not sure about Jordan Love either, honestly, to be honest. Frank, I watched a lot of him this past year too. I'm I'm, I'm buying the first two guys in the draft and I'm gonna stop at that point. In fact, I think that there'll be players, uh, quarterbacks taken later in the draft that may end up being better than the guys who were taken earlier. The one thing I'll say about the Chargers situation for whatever rookie comes in, and again, if it's Tua, I agree 100% that he should not play this year. But if Herbert or Jordan Love were to land with the Los Angeles Chargers, the one saving grace that I will say is that they have phenomenal weapons, Craig. I mean, they they have guys that can make plays all over the field. Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, uh, Hunter Henry, Austin Eckler. You know, these are guys that you could throw jump balls to and Mike Williams, huge bodies. Keenan Allen, one of the best route runners in the league. Hunter Henry over the middle of the field in the red zone. Austin Eckler, one of the best yards after catch running backs in the NFL. For whatever rookie quarterback is entering the the Chargers situation, assuming they draft one because we're just going based off assumptions right now. But if they draft one, I will say that whoever winds there – you're in a pretty good spot in terms of the weapons that you have. They still need to continue uh, building out that offensive line. But in terms of just players to throw the ball to, the Chargers might be one of the best situations in the NFL right now. Absolutely. Absolutely. Agree with that as well. Um, So as we wrap up the show today, and uh, of course, we're going to have a lot more programming here on SportsGrid. Unfortunately, if you're watching this show, this will be my final uh, video with Frank. As, uh, as Frank is enhancing and moving on in his uh, sports, media, and fantasy career, uh, I would say that, Frank, we had a long storied history of working together. It turned out it was only uh, a couple of months. But needless to say, I want to thank you for uh, all of your time here. I know you and Greg, of course, have a lot more to say on the Fantasy BFF side, so you guys can search for that on YouTube or sportsgrid.com. Uh, but congratulations to you um, for all of what you've accomplished here with us at SportsGrid and uh, wish you all the best with your uh, future career as well. People can follow you, of course, on Twitter and, uh, and track your career as you go. I will miss you. It has been fun. We had a really good thing for a short period of time. But again, uh, always in favor of people uh, you know, working toward their goals and doing new things. So congratulations to you. Yeah, thanks, Craig. I really do appreciate it. I appreciate that everything that you've offered to me, your insight, your advice, the opportunity uh, to, you know, do something new that I've never done before. The, you know, being able to throw to player interviews, something I've never had that opportunity to do before. So uh, just, you know, what you were able to offer me in my career as well to help me advance and get to this point. I, I can't thank you enough. So I do appreciate that. And just want to thank everybody at SportsGrid, Lou Mayon, Jeremy, uh, Mike Cardano, Greg Sussman, everyone for the opportunities, all the producers, people behind the scenes, the graphics, editors, uh, board producers, audio producers, anybody that's been involved and has helped me get to this point. Uh, I cannot thank you enough. And 
same goes for you as well, Craig. I, I appreciate everything that you've done for me. Well, thank you, Frank. And, and uh, of course, we'll stay in touch, stay friends, and compete against each other in Fantasy Draft. No doubt about that. All right, so that'll do it for this uh, show, folks. Of course, I'll be right back here on Sports Grid. Uh, thanks again to Frank Stample. I'm Craig Mish. Wishing you guys a great day, great night, whenever you're watching this. And don't forget, be safe, wash your hands, keep social distancing. We'll talk again soon. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com.